Hey guys, Omar here, and welcome to the Mo and O Show. I am Omar Gonzalez, and unfortunately, Mo is feeling under the weather on this recording day, so we wanted to get an episode out to you. So I will be discussing today a little bit about the Sony A7 III, a little like three-week update for those of you curious about how I'm uh, getting along with the camera, how my Fuji feels about that. Is it jealous at all? And I'm going to talk a little bit about camera settings and if they actually even matter. Spoiler, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. All right, we'll start with, is the Fuji completely jealous of the Sony? Absolutely not. Uh, my Fuji camera has been ignored a little. Uh, the Fuji X-T2, only because I am killing myself trying to make the Sony a7 III feel like it's an extension of my arm. That's one thing I love about my Canon gear and shooting uh, jobs with it is that I can focus my attention on my clients. I can focus attention on making them feel comfortable, making them feel like this is no big deal, that we're photographing portraits. And you really can't do that if you are fumbling through menus and you keep staring down at your camera just know that we pick up cues. So if someone's seeing you fumble at the back of your menu and stare down at your screen, there's a disconnect. So you kind of just want to have the camera in your hand and you know look at them and sort of in the back of your mind be working out all these buttons and dials and things. So my Fuji has been <laughs> sort of just on the sidelines staring at me practice here in the office with flashes, with all kinds of different lighting and focusing situations. Uh, I've turned the lights down completely in here. Um, I wanted to make a video on this, but really low light on the Fuji A7 III. Fuji, listen to me, the Fuji A7 III. You know, it does get confusing having three different camera systems. I now have the Canon, the Fuji, and the Sony. And my brain just locks up when I'm thinking about dials. I, I picked up the Fuji X-T2 the other day. And for the life of me, I was like, what button is it to change my focus point? <laughs> so there is a negative to having jumping from system to system. So that's one of the reasons the, the Fuji's been off to the side. But uh, the Sony a7 III, I've, I've held it as much as I can to really get used to it because those of you that saw my video on the a7 III, you know it's just for work. I've taken it out for pleasure but it's definitely not as fun as the Fuji, you know, with the dials and it's sort of film camera feel and um, the ability to, you know, put a pancake lens on it and throw it in a bag. This is just so much more lifestyle love. And this one is just like workhorse. All right, so let's talk Sony a7 III. What are my impressions after three weeks? Well, the plus is really quick. Uh, number one, my Canon lenses are performing perfectly with the uh, Sigma MC11 adapter. So, so maybe those of you that are thinking of switching over but don't have many lenses uh, for Sony, but you have a lot of Canon lenses, for my experience, it's a great transition. But one thing you should know that if you have the Sigma adapter, if you have Sigma lenses, they work great. They uh, have continuous autofocus in video. If you throw any Canon lens on here, they lose autofocus continuous in video, which was a little bit of a letdown because I thought I would be um, shooting my, <laughs> my YouTube videos in 4K and that it would track my face with my Canon lenses. I only have one Sigma lens, this 50 millimeter 1.4, which is like my favorite lens. 
but I couldn't do any video unless it was in 50 millimeters with the Sony. So I picked up the Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter 2.8 lens and everything that I researched about this lens, uh, it's just like the best bang for your buck. Yeah, it's a little plasticky, but it's nice and light, crazy sharp. I've already tested it and it focuses lightning fast. The images are beautiful that come off this thing. So I actually purchased this so I can use it for YouTube videos but I think I'm going to start bringing it to a couple of jobs and see what it can do. So the Tamron really impressed with that uh, plastic lens, but for the price, uh, it has the 2.8 aperture and it's pretty small. So it works great on the, the Sony body. Other things coming over from Canon, uh, I, I've set up the camera so it kind of feels like a Canon. So my aperture dial is my thumb and my shutter is my index finger. So you can set up the camera to sort of uh, have the controls in the same area that you have. I love that there's so many customizable buttons. So when I first started, I put them all kind of where my Canon ones are. So for example, my white balance, I always change on my Canon with my index finger. So I put white balance at the top. Okay, so enjoying ridiculously fast autofocus, enjoying ridiculously great eye autofocus. And Sony just announced a uh, firmware update for the Sony a7 III where it will be able to track animals' eyes, which is great. I don't have a dog or anything, but those of you that have pets, you can use eye autofocus for animals. So pet photographers rejoice, <laughs> uh, which has got to be one of the harder photographies to do, is to do great portraits of pets. I've always wanted to do that. And I know Mo has a dog and he, he just posted a great picture up of his Datsun using the Sony a7 III. And I believe the 28 millimeter, I'll post that picture up, but it looks great. The picture looks beautiful. The lighting is beautiful. And so uh, it's going to be great to have that eye autofocus for the pet people out there, the lion tamers. <laughs> now, Sony's got to be careful because they said, you know, animal eyes, you know, so couldn't do spiders. Hmm. You know, it should have been mammal eye detection because a jellyfish is an animal. <laughs> they don't have eyes. Yeah, but a scallop has like 100 eyes. I can't wait to test that. <laughs> it is. So I'm sure it's just mammal eyes, but I wonder if it can do birds or if it can do, I'm sure it could do birds because there's a little bird photography, but I'm sure it's not doing like worm eyes or something. And so a couple of things that aren't perfect about the camera, basically everything that's built into it inside the computer, the autofocus, the uh, the, the performance of the camera is like top notch and it's why it's the best selling full frame camera. But some things to me seem like are a little off as far as design goes. For example, number one, I thought the first thing that I thought was a little weird is coming from Fuji, you put in your memory cards backwards. I mean, to me, it's backwards. If you're a Sony user, I guess it's normal but I'm used to putting my memory cards in Canon and Fuji where you see the label of the <laughs> of the SD card, but that didn't take too long to getting to get used to. Uh, closing the, <laughs> the battery door was a little strange because on your Fuji, you know, it clicks shut after you close it and also your Canon. So you have to actually close it and flick the lock dot. You have to lock the door, which I thought was strange. No biggie, you get used to that. 
Uh, Design-wise, the one thing I don't love a lot are what I call these little flappy doors. <laughs> so these little flappy doors on the left side, it has access to your like microphone jack and your HDMI jack. So they seem to just be these like little floppy doors that you have to click back in into place. So I wish it had the X-T2 door, which just swings open. And uh, that's just a lot easier. Like the door opens up and then you close it. Canon also has these floppy doors, but at least theirs are rubber. So they seem to make more sense because they're a lot, f you know, flexible. So you can flop them off and put all your inputs in. These are like harder plastic. So I, I'm not crazy about the doors on the left. So that from a design wise, I don't love that. To move to the next level, I hope that Sony makes a camera that's maybe about half an inch larger at the bottom for a better grip and that the dials are a little bit more robust. Now, if you've touched a camera that was earlier than this, like the a7 II uh, or the a7, those dials were dinky. So they've done a great job in upgrading from that. But I think it would be awesome to see the next step where the... Um, the dial on the back is just a little bit more like Canon robust. Uh, they did a nice job with the shutter. The shutter's great. The buttons are great. I think just the dial in the back is my only sort of flimsy complaint. It's still kind of entry level for a rolling dial in the back. The grip, I'm going to add something at the bottom because my pinky is totally like, you know, scared and alone. But other than that, I have a shoot tomorrow, and I'm. it's so funny, the Canon 5D Mark IV on portrait shoots now is the backup camera. It's crazy to think that, but I put the Canon 5D Mark IV in my bag as a backup, and the main reason, yo, I autofocus. I autofocus. Once you go I auto, I can't imagine going back. Now, with that said, I've shot my event receptions and uh, parties with my Canon still because I am not comfortable... Again, it's not an extension of my hand with EVF and flash shooting. EVF and flash shooting is a little, takes a little getting used to because you kind of have to use it like a DSLR. And so your EVF, I'm, I'm still not sure if I'm using the EVF or if I'm going to use the back screen to like flippy flip screen frame my shots. But right now, I have a button set, which gives me a sort of preview of what my ambient exposure is. And then I have the button that I push and it, it gives me like night vision so that I can sort of see in the dark, but not as comfortable as an optical viewfinder. I think in the, maybe the next three years, you know, it's funny that the, uh, X, the Fuji X-Pro2 is the only camera I can think of right now, unless you know another one, let me know in the comments, but that has an, uh, a hybrid viewfinder where you can flip off the EVF and have an optical viewfinder so you can frame your shot. And I think as mirrorless becomes more popular, we're going to see this hybrid viewfinder for weddings, uh, reception work, where your EVF and your screen doesn't need to be on. You can use the camera kind of like a DSLR, uh, which is probably sacrilegious to say for the mirrorless lovers out there. So overall update with the Sony, getting used to it, love its performance, got a couple of gripes with a couple of, you know, no camera's perfect, but it uh, needs a little bit of a better grip for my hand and those doors. But other than that, dang, performance-wise, image quality-wise, pictures are sharpy, sharp, crazy. Bulk is beautiful in full frame, so I'm loving it for that. All right, so the second thing I wanted to discuss really quick is... 
does knowing the camera settings of a photograph really help you? And just spoiler, it kind of can help you and it also could be completely 100% irrelevant and it doesn't matter. First of all, to discuss why, and I do this too, why we wanna know camera settings. One, we like the photograph we're looking at. And so we kind of want a little bit behind the scenes if we, you know, we, we like to gather nuggets. We like to gather information to put in our little toolbox that, you know what, if I saw that image of the moon at F8, how did they shoot it at F8? You know, and so these are little nuggets that we pick up as beginning photographers and even experienced photographers that we can put in our toolbox. So looking at camera settings, I love seeing camera settings under a photograph. So I posted up a picture of my mitzvah client kid, flash work, and I didn't put settings there. So right away, there were a couple of comments that asked for settings, and I was like, huh, taking settings for granted. I had to actually look them up. What were my settings? And in my head, this is one of those cases where the settings are kind of irrelevant because I had no control over the situation ex uh, of the, the, the room, mind you. It wasn't like I set up a shop for a magazine or something where I had control of everything. So I was working with the decor company's ambient lighting in the background. So if you go to, a, if you use my camera settings at a brand new location, you're not gonna get the same results. But again, I do know why people ask for settings. So in this kind of photograph, uh, I, I set my camera settings for whatever the ambient or the background lighting is doing. And so that's gonna change venue to venue. And in this case, I kept my shutter uh, you know, under sync speed. I know I wanted 2.8 because I want a little bit of bokeh. I knew I wanted a long lens for compression. And so when you're talking about settings, sometimes there's so many decisions that are in play that they don't really help you for the next photograph. Because if the next week I try to take the same picture, the ambient is different. So settings don't really help in that case. What helps is you practicing in different situations, how your settings can help you get the photograph. But there's some cases where knowing the settings of a photograph make you completely like excited for you to try something. So I remember when I first started photography, seeing blurry water, for example, like when you have a slow shutter speed water that it looks like paint mist or how did they do that? And there, if you see someone did a second or a two second exposure, you know, it clicks in your head and you put that in your little toolbox, like I mentioned. Also fireworks, you know, uh, if you're trying to learn how to take firework photographs, seeing the settings of that to get streams of fireworks, you know, to get the beautiful look of fireworks, there are longer exposures that you can play with your shutter speed. But now if you're looking at street photography, for example, and Sometimes settings don't really matter in street photography. A lot of street photographers set their camera to F8 and maybe even aperture priority where they get a shutter speed that's fast enough to capture human motion, which is maybe something over one over 200. And ISO, who cares? And so street photography sometimes is just about technically getting an exposure and all about getting a moment or something beautiful going on on the street, capturing the light well. 
So I think that settings there are kind of irrelevant. You could almost shoot street photography in full auto and be rocking it. But then there's that middle ground, that middle ground where you go from full auto or from street photography settings and where you kind of want to know why is the person's you know, eye super sharp, but their ears are blurry kind of thing. You know, that is where it gets a little, uh, you know, what are the settings? How did they do that? But just to be, you know, play devil's advocate, even if you set your camera to 1.8, you back up, the ears are not blurry anymore. If you get really close to your subject, the ears are like, forget it, butter. So distance to subject is something else. And these are the little things where camera settings do matter if you are learning, but really setting up your camera and trying out different, uh, you know, distances and apertures and shutter speeds. I think that's going to help a lot of beginners more. Uh, so I'm totally for giving out my EXIF data and my settings if it helps someone. And sometimes I totally forget to put that in the photograph, even though I love seeing it in other photographs. But settings sometimes matter if they give you an artistic result. And sometimes they're completely irrelevant if it's just exposure, technical settings on the camera to get a proper exposure. All right, we could talk more about that. I wish I had Mo here to bounce ideas off him because now I feel like I'm just rambling by myself. But hopefully next week we'll be back together to talk a little bit more. Maybe we can bring up this topic if you like. So uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. Uh, 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 uh.